May it please the court. My name is Eddie James and I am here on behalf of the appellant Dre Health Corporation. Uh, this case and this appeal concerns the Federal Arbitration Act, Title IX, and the interplay with the language of an arbitration agreement between Dre Health, a Missouri corporation based in Missouri, and a company based in the Anhui province of the People's Republic of China, Anhui Power Guard. Appellant Dre Health appeals the order of the court and contends the trial court made two fundamental errors. The first error is did the trial court err in overriding the delegation of arbitrability to the Hong Kong International Arbitration Center? The second error was did the trial court err in determining the arbitration agreement contained a condition precedent that was never fulfilled? So those are the two issues that we believe are pending before this court, and I welcome any questions at this time. I don't want to belabor the issues we briefed, and I'm sure the court has read the briefs, but I want to focus on what I think is the most interesting issue in the case, which is the issue of arbitrability, because that has been addressed by both the Supreme Court and this Eighth Circuit Court on numerous occasions. The question of arbitrability and if I uh, mispronounce that or stumble over that word, uh, please forgive me. Questions of arbitrability must be addressed according to the Moses H. Cohn case by the United States Supreme Court with a healthy regard for the federal policy favoring arbitration. In fact... Hey, counsel, the, oh, wait, I'm sorry. Even in light of that preference, there still has to be a contract that commits someone to arbitration. There's no question about that, Your Honor, and I'm on, in full agreement with that notion that there in, has to be. In, in the specific contract we're dealing with here, there's this uh, precedent language or language of precedent conditions that uh, a, certain num a certain amount of money has to have been paid prior to the triggering of the right to arbitration or to the relief of arbitration. Well, Your Honor, I think... I think that language is what is at the heart of this appeal. Is the, well, is the language of that explain to us how that language works. Let me tell you how that language works. All right, there's, there's two issues to be considered here. The first is the language which is found on, in the joint appendix on page 28 of the, of the joint appendix says, after the initial payment of $1,970,000 USD and in consideration of future commitments, Anhui Power Guard agrees to release Dre Health from all legal claims. And then it goes on to say, uh, from all legal claims granted, Dre completes installment payments, comma, agreed that the venue for any future disputes shall be binding arbitration with the Hong Kong International Arbitration Center under the terms of the original PO, and it agrees to deliver nitrile gloves to Dre Health for certain commercial terms. And so how, can, way, how can those three things be separated? Well, those things can be separated, Your Honor, because in order to resolve the issue of payment, I mean, it, the issue of payment goes to the merits of the dispute. And the United States State Supreme Court says the, the trial court, when there's been a delegation of arbitrability, like here we have a delegation of arbitrability by way of the reference to the Hong Kong International Arbitration Center. So there's a delegation of arbitrability by that reference. If you look at the Hong Kong International 
arbitration. So that reference and the use of that reference occurs after the language that requires the conditional payment. No, I, I agree that that reference occurs after that language, but the issue of once the delegation is made, the question of whether that condition was satisfied, which is a factual question, different from the Second Circuit, and whether that clause applies or that condition precedent language applies, that, that issue has to be resolved by the agreement of the parties to go to the Hong Kong International Arbitration Center. If you look at the Shine case, and uh, if you look at the Shine case and the uh, Eighth Circuit cases in Green and Eckert, the question of arbit arbitrability is a question of contract, not a question of fact, right? It's a question of contract. And so the question of contract... Shine, Shine also says the question of arbitra arbitrability is for the court to decide unless there's clear and unmistakable evidence the parties intended otherwise. It absolutely does, Your Honor. And the way I can square that with our position in this case is the court has repeatedly said in the Eckert case and in the Green case that reference to the AAA with a robust set of arbitration rules where the arbitration rules say the arbitrator is going to decide arbitrability. That reference to the AAA with a robust set of rules is that clear and unmistakable why reference. Why isn't the better reading the one the district court gave, which is they didn't agree to arbitrate anything until that condition precedent was satisfied? Well, the, Your Honor, the... the the district, district court erred in doing that because it's deciding the merits of the dispute, the facts of the dispute, in the absence of context or evidence or anything of, along those lines. But the Eighth Circuit case, said, a court, it says, Henry Schein, the Supreme Court said, in the question of arbitrability is a question of contract, and a court may not rule on the potential merits. Shine really clearly says that. And AT&T in the Communication Workers of America, 475 U.S. 643, the court again stressed that the court is not, uses very strong language, the court is not supposed to weigh facts or rule on the merits of claims. Here the trial court ruled that the condition precedent, if that, was, if that language is a condition precedent, was not satisfied, and it was up to the, and that is a ruling on the merits, because that would, uh, that would well, also. Is there any dispute about that? I mean, was the 1.7 well, million paid? Well, Your Honor, the reason that issue, the reason, if you look at the uh, Bordeaux pizza case, which this court decided, the Bordeaux pizza case says, if the, uh, if the plaintiff or the party seeking to compel arbitration opens the issues of merits and takes the issues of merits and puts it before the court, then you're conceding the court has the power and jurisdiction to resolve the issue of arbitrability. We didn't, the, the, they, were, they used language in the Shine uh, and, uh, no, not Shine case, but in the Brodeau Pizza case, where they said, you know, this court said, uh, that you're asking the district court to take a, a peek at the merits when you raise merits into your briefing. And so had we raised the issue of payment or non-payment or any of those things with an affidavit and evidence and a hearing on that, 
we would be opening the can of worms that we believe that the district court is the, the person or the entity to resolve the merits of the issue. Um, I mean, the, the, this is, is there this, a factual dispute about the, the payment of the $1.9 million? Is there a factual dispute? There's nothing in the record about whether there's a factual dispute about, about not, that or not. I know from, you know, outside of the record, um, I know that some monies were paid, but perhaps not the full amount. But that's not in the record, because that's not for the trial court to resolve. The trial court's job, when it sees the reference to the Hong Kong International, it says the parties so you, agree. Do you think that alone, the reference to the Hong Kong rules, well, when, makes when, it, wait a minute, let me finish oh, the question, sorry. makes it clear and unmistakable, even in light of the condition precedent? I believe the condition precedent, if it is a condition precedent, well, establishes a You keep saying that. How is it not a condition precedent? Because, Your Honor, if you look at the language of the agreement, it says, after the initial payment, and it has a comma, and it, it's the first obligation is for, uh, is for Dre to make some kind of payment, and not only a million nine, but in consideration of all future payments. And if Dre had made all those payments, it would have fulfilled its obligations under this agreement, and it, it would have triggered the release. The, second, the first comma relates to a release. And it uses the word agree. And the second, after the second comma, it says agrees that, uh, it, says, it, it says agrees to release. Dre agrees. The second comma is a mutual obligation, Your Honor. The second comma says the parties agree. Like it says agree. What are, what are they agreeing to arbitrate? It says future disagreements, future disputes. So that there, this is seems to be contingent upon payment. If you've got other things that agree about the quality of the products, the service rendered, that those are the sorts of things that they're going to arbitrate, as or that it would be submitted to an arbitration as opposed to uh, payment. Well, Your Honor, I understand that that'd be one way to look at it, but I think I think the. The, the, pay, the payment issue language relates to the release. I mean, that's why there was a dispute. If you look, these were sophisticated parties, right? And so if you look at the first six contracts attached to the complaint, they all had arbitration clauses, right? And so this last agreement was agreement to, an agreement to settle and resolve outstanding disputes resulting in a release. And so... That's why the release language is there. But the agreement to arbitrate is a separate concept um, that the establishing an agreement by, by both parties that the venue for any disputes shall be binding arbitration with the Hong Kong International Arbitration Association. But the more fundamental issue... a better argument, though, if it was a period after the, the release language and then if it said the parties further agree... But once it's all in the same sentence, separated by a comma, why? It, it sure looks like the more natural reading is that the payment is a condition precedent. Well, Your Honor, again, I think it goes to who is the who is entitled to determine the issue of arbitrability and whether that condition was satisfied. If it is a condition, but assuming assuming without agreeing that it is a condition to the agreement to arbitrate. Once the reference 
is made to the Hong Kong International Association, International Arbitration Association, it's just like the reference that this court has enforced by reference to the AAA, which has a robust set of rules about who decides arbitrability. The Hong Kong International Arbitration Association has a robust set of rules about who determines arbitrability. That, that election by these sophisticated parties was important. It was an important election, and it was different than the election they had made in prior agreements where they were agreeing to arbitrate in Shanghai under a different set of rules. So this was a specifically negotiated Hong Kong Art International Arbitration Association agreement. Council did the, was this argument made to the district court that, that there's a fact question about the payment of this conditional amount? Well, Your Honor, we told the district court... Um, because when I look at the, the district court's order, I don't, I don't see that. No, you're right. It, it's not, it's not reflected in the district court's order, Your Honor. Right. And again, there was an issue about peeking at the merits, as, at this, as this court noted. So what we, what we briefed to the court was that there was an arbitration agreement and that you were not the right entity to resolve this issue of arbitrability. And we also briefed the issue that we didn't believe a condition precedent existed. But in terms of whether or not the condition precedent was satisfied, that goes to the merits of the dispute, which under Moses and under Shine and under Bredeau Pizza are, are all, it's the trial court, if there's a, if there's a reference to arbitration, it, the parties risk waiver of the arbitration argument if they, if they brief the merits of the dispute or present evidence. We could have had a hearing or submitted affidavits about the payment or non-payment or the excuse for why payment was not made or the circumstances of why that clause is not a condition precedent and what the parties intended. We could have taken depositions, but by then, under Bordeaux Pizza, we would have waived arbitration by participating in a discussion on the merits. And so, Counsel, you're well within your rebuttal time. You can continue if oh, you like or reserve. Okay. Well, I will, um, I will uh, uh, save some time for rebuttal. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Mr. James. Mr. Ennis. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the Court. Andrew Ennis from Polsonelli on behalf of the Appalachian <clears throat> Anhui Power Guard Technology Company Limited. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. This is a, a, a straightforward appeal involving two related concepts of arbitrability in a contract dispute. As my friend Mr. James d described, there's a question of whether this issue is even subject to arbitration in the first place in light of the uh, carve-out or condition precedent. And then second, whether the trial court was the appropriate entity to uh, decide the question of arbitrability. I want to jump to first um, an issue that was discussed at length with, with Mr. James, and that is the issue of the trial court's um, supposed determination of an issue of, of the merits. The trial court re re addressed this issue based solely on the complaint. All that had been filed in this lawsuit was a complaint and then a motion to compel arbitration. And as this court held in the Coke versus CompuCredit case, uh, which is 543 F3rd 460, 
when the district court's decision is based on a complaint alone and did not involve determination of disputed factual issues, the standard of review here is de novo. And that, I think, is the standard under which we're all operating here today. The court accepted as true the allegations in the complaint and decided the issue based on what Anhui Power Guard had alleged in that complaint. And so it did not reach the merits of any issue. It just accepted as true the allegations of the complaint and said, assuming those facts are true, there is a condition precedent that has not been satisfied. So you allege that the $1.97 million had not been paid? Yes, Your Honor, we did. That is in, I think it's Joint Appendix 8. Apologies. If that were to turn out to be wrong, you may well be on your way to arbitration, right? If the payment had been made. If they did make the payment, would we be subject to arbitration? Potentially. Yes, I think so. I mean, I think it's a gating issue for whether the dispute is arbitrable in the first place. So had the payment been made, then this dispute is arguably subject, I mean, could be subject to a motion to compel arbitration. I mean, the allegations in the complaint establish that there was $9 million unpaid for goods that had been delivered. There was the settlement agreement that's at issue here, the guarantee and delivery agreement that is effectively a settlement agreement that reduced the amount owed from $9 million to just over $5 million and then laid out these terms by which that $5 million would be paid, starting with the initial $1.97 million payment within five days of the date of the agreement, another $1.9-ish in another month, and then a third payment a month later. And so because, and we have alleged that there was a $1 million payment that was received well after the initial date for the $1.97 million payment, and that was all the further payments that were made. And that's why in the underlying lawsuit we seek a damages award of roughly $8 million, which is the $9 million crediting the $1 million that was paid. But there was never a payment, as alleged in the complaint, there was never a payment that would satisfy the condition precedent. So going back to the fundamental issue here, obviously there are presumptions in favor of arbitration in many contexts, but at the end of the day, the question of whether a dispute is subject to arbitration is a matter of contract and contractual intent. As this Court and the Supreme Court have repeatedly held, arbitration is a matter of contract and a party cannot be required to submit to arbitration any dispute which he has not agreed so to submit. And that's in the Anderson v. Hansen case, which quotes Unison. It's also in the Koch v. CompuCredit case I referred to earlier. The contractual provision here, which the trial court correctly analyzed, had an express condition precedent before any obligation to arbitrate would arise. It makes clear that the first thing that has to happen is a payment of $1.97 million, and following that payment, then Enhui Power Guard would have... Is there any issues about any of those listed items that come after that? I mean, 
Is it just about the money? Are there other of those listed items that are disputed as uh, having been satisfied? I don't believe so, Your Honor. The, the, the $1.97 million was never paid, and so there was never a release given to uh, Dre Health, which was the first item. Our argument here, of course, is there's no obligation to arbitrate any dispute barring that initial payment. And then third, um, there was no, there's been no delivery of additional products, so the, the, the agreement required the third op, the third item in the list was future transactions between Anhui Power Guard and and Dre Health, and none of those things have happened. Um, and I and I do think that that the context here matters. I think the trial court, I think the district court reached the correct result just based on the the allegations in the complaint and the plain language of the of the of the provision at issue here and the series qualifier canon saying that the preceding language modifies the succeeding three items is the kind of grammatically, linguistically, logical, uh, logically is the right read of that paragraph. But I think the context that you're looking at this dispute in matters too. As I mentioned before, you had a situation where over the preceding six months, Dre Health had failed to pay as over $9 million for products that had been delivered to Dre Health. So now you have a situation where you're trying to come up with some business resolution to that dispute, and you have a scenario where you have a, a recalcitrant, non-paying business partner, and so it makes logical sense that Anhui Power Guard would condition any of those things on the initial satisfaction, the payment of the money, because that was what the entire dispute was about, non-payment of a substantial amount of money. So it makes perfectly logical sense that Anhui Power Guard would not be interested in having any agreements to do anything as it related to Dre Health, absent the good faith payments that were contemplated under the effectively settlement agreement. And so all of those, the, all those facts that you just described, recalcitrant business partner ha had not paid, etc. That we we get that from the from the allegations of the complaint. Yes, Your Honor. That the the series of of um, transactions and non-payments is is laid out in detail throughout the course of the complaint, followed by the allegation of non-payment, um, and then acknowledging the single one million dollar payment made after the date of the settlement agreement, but long after the required date for th these conditions to be met. Did Power Guard deliver the gloves and other items uh, purchased? Pre before the the guarantee and delivery agreement, yes. Before the these conditions were met, yeah, yes. Leading up to so the nine million dollars that was owed was owed because they had entered into a series of transactions and products had been delivered to Dre here in the United States and uh, not paid and not paid for. Some amounts had been deposited up front and then goods were delivered and then the balance was never paid, as alleged in the complaint. So as, as the case goes forward now, what if it were, what if it came out that the allegations of the complaint were incorrect and that the necessary money had been paid? Well, I think that then Dre Health could could potentially raise that issue with the trial court and seek to compel arbitration based on a, a different standard and a different um, set of facts. 
at this stage, at the outset of the lawsuit, all we have is the allegations of the complaint, which the trial court assumed to be true. Uh, and, I, and I believe under Coke, this court is obligated to assume they're true as, as well. And so at, at, at the end of the day, the question, as transitioning sort of to the who decides the arbitrability question, we never get to the Hong Kong International Arbitration Center rules here because the gating issue, the condition precedent at the beginning was never satisfied. And so because it was never satisfied, the invocation of, of those rules is of no moment. Um, the Second Circuit in the NASDAQ case, which we, we briefed extensively in our papers, held um, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that because that agreement carved out certain issues from arbitration, and, and as you'll recall, in, in that case, in the NASDAQ case in the Second Circuit, it was an arbitration that was subject to the NASDAQ rules, and, it's, and it acknowledged that issues that were exempt from dispute under the NASDAQ operating rules could not, would not be submitted to arbitration. And so the Second Circuit held but because you have that issue, that, that upfront gating issue of is this a dispute that is able to be resolved here or not, you never get to whether the AAA rules are in, require the arbitrator to decide the arbitrability issue. The Second Circuit held that you, don't, you never get there because of that is, initial issue, the removal of certain issues from the scope of arbitration eliminates any clear and unmistakable evidence of intent uh, that the parties intended that issue to go to the arbitrator. Henry Schein, interestingly, on remand back from the Supreme Court after the wholly groundless decision that, um, that Dre Health relies upon from the Supreme Court, was remanded back to the Fifth Circuit. The Fifth Circuit at that point made a similar, just reached a similar conclusion to the NASDAQ court. And in Henry Schein, the court held that because the the because they the arbitra excuse me the arbitration clause exempted things like injunctive relief and other claims from the scope of arbitration, it pointed to cases like Nasdaq and others and said that eliminates again this clear and unmistakable uh, notion that it's the parties intended for that issue to go to the arbitrator because some things are going to go to arbitration and some things aren't. And so how can you say the parties then understood and agreed that arbitrability would be an issue decided exclusively by the arbitrator? And that is um, 935 F3rd 274 uh, from the Fifth Circuit. And that, and that same rationale applies here. I think even more forcefully, in those cases, there were exclusions to what could and could not be, what could be arbitrated. So you had certain types of issues that would go to an arbitrator and certain items that would not. Here, you have an upfront gating issue that says, if there is no payment of $1.97 million by June 21st of 2021, in nothing, there's no obligation to arbitrate, there's no release given to Dre, and there's no... Uh, obligation for Dre, for Anhui PowerGuard to do future business with, with Dre Health. Um,
And as the, the Henry Schein Court on Remand said, the parties could have unambiguously delegated the question of arbitrability to the, to the arbitrator, but they did not, and the court is not empowered to rewrite that agreement. And I would argue that that same rationale applies forcefully here. And with that, Your Honors, absent further questions, I'll yield the rest of my time. I don't see any. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. James, I think you used uh, most of your time, but we'll give you at least a, uh, a full minute, minute and a half to uh, complete your argument. Yeah, I appreciate that, Your Honor. Thank you for your time. Um, going to your question, Judge Shepard, about what, ha what happens later if we participate in discovery and it shows these payments were made or there was an, a valid excuse for non-payment, by participating in the process, Dre would have waived the right to compel arbitration under this court's precedent and under the Supreme Court's precedent. So there has to be the initial determination. And the initial determination here, by reference to the Hong Kong arbitration rules, means that the arbitrators in, in Hong Kong, they can take up the issue of arbitrability as well as the trial court. It, the rules absolutely say that. And if the Hong Kong Arbitration Association determines we don't have jurisdiction because the condition precedent exists and was not fulfilled after hearing the facts and evidence, then it would go back to the trial court and we would there would be no prejudice to any party. But when, you, when, the, when there's a reference to the Hong Kong International Arbitration Center, it's akin to what the court had in Eckert and Green as a reference to the AAA arbitration rules. And that says it has to go, the initial gatekeeping is critical because it's about timing. If we had adjudicated the merits, then we would be waiving the right so to arbitrate. If this provision said there is no agreement to arbitrate until after the payment, the $1.97 million payment, it, period, when there is an arbitration, we'll use the Hong Kong rules. It would be your position that 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 needs to that the issue needs to be decided by the arbitrator. No, if it was that, I think if it was that abundantly clear, then then I mean it's all a matter of what the contract says, right? Well, and so I think it comes down to a an issue of contract contract interpretation. Oh, I'm out of time, but you can you can answer. But the I question. think I think it comes down to an issue of contract interpretation and looking at the federal laws involving delegation and the federal cases involving delegation to the arbitrator in 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 uh green and uh and in eckert uh that's what we have here thank you for your time your honor thank you mr james thank you also mr Ennis. the court appreciates both counsel's participation and argument before the court this morning We'll consider the argument, continue to study the briefing, and render a decision in due course. Thank you.